cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 8th, 2008. I always advise newcomers who come in all the time, and that's a really good sign, younger and younger ones too, to look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website where they can download lots of the previous talks, talks that go into the histories of how the world really is run and how it's always been run that way. It's run in secrecy, and that democracy is really a big illusion for public consumption. It keeps us happy, and keeps us going along with the agendas, and not asking too many questions. Also, we can to Alan Watt Sentinel.eu, where you can download transcripts in the various languages of Europe. And getting back to what I was saying there about democracy, it really is a, a wonderful stem, because we do... And we are trained to be socialized. A socialist-type system trains you to accept that you have betters above you, experts and everything, who deal with all the weighty matters of the world and even uh, the matters right down to your own home and your family and what happens between you and so on. We're all studied under the microscope. And the process of socialization is standardization, where everyone just has to be the same way as everyone else. And that's really where it all heads to. And the public, unfortunately, have had uh, a generation of this constant socialization. They call it creeping socialism. And I think, uh, I think it was um, Khrushchev mentioned that that fact is communist. Communism is just socialism in a hurry. So we got it the same way through a different means, through gradualism. And it was inevitable to, uh, that this happened because... People never, ever watch their governments. Once you have a little problem or you have a bad famine or a depression, uh, we tend to be so concerned with survival, we forget to watch the governments and what they're up to. That's when they ram laws through and take over uh, various things that were your rights at one time. Socialization has to standardize everyone along the same path. Uh, Nothing really explained it better than the communist writings. And don't forget that the Soviet system now is amalgamated with the West completely. This was outlined in the wish list put out by the Club of Rome in their book, The First Global Revolution. They said that they had studied the big think tank, this Club of Rome. They had studied all the different societies in existence that had been and were and came to the conclusion that collectivism, which they meant Sovietization, was the best method to rule over the, the masses of people worldwide for a, a world governmental system. That's what they meant. And we have it all in place. All the institutions that are now enforcement bodies with authority behind them and law behind them started off as services. Now they are our lords and masters. And we've been trained to see them that way. See, the only difference between obeying and not obeying is how you're conditioned to view that credential, 
that card, that ID card, or the uniform. It's all in how you're trained to perceive it. If you were living in the 1700s and a man stopped you on the road uh, in your coach and he stopped you with a pistol, you would shoot him as a highwayman before he shot you. Today, the, the cops stop us and they can steal your car. They call it impounding, but they steal your car and they can have you locked up in prison till you pay their bosses, which is a form of extortion as well, you see. It's all how you've been trained to perceive what is really happening. And I hear the music coming in, and I'm going to roll with this tonight. So hang in there, and we'll come back after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I'm talking about how we got in this mess and how gradual it was, although now it's on a roll because it, it has no enemies anymore. Most of the public are mind-bombed patsies. They don't know really what's happened to themselves. They don't know there's anything strange going on. They suck at the teeth of the television every night, and they eat all the fast foods that's making them overweight. Uh, plus all the modified um, oils and so on that comes with it. They're being modified, genetically modified, and we see the effects of it all around us. Socialism, the creeping socialism that was intended to take away all your rights uh, one by one, and this was done through different means. One of them was to make you think that law, lawlessness was out of hand. It was all over the, the, the country. Every Western country got this too. The media were the main culprits. They hyped up everything until people in some areas and sometimes down through the last 20, 30 years were scared to get out their doors for fear of being mugged or killed or whatever. And that was perception alteration by the media. And once people are terrified, then a government comes forth with the solutions and you have to give up rights and get more cops and to, to protect you. And you end up being harassed and all the rest of it with the cops. This is an ongoing uh, system that we're now with terrorism everywhere. It's taken over from the fear of criminality. And terrorism is now rampaging ahead, taking the last rights away from the public. And unfortunately, the public have swallowed this. Most of them have swallowed it, believing that they have to bend over backwards and be jabbed for their DNA and all the rest of it, all to keep the world safe. Tyranny is tyranny, regardless of the guise that it goes under. And it's really always the same kind of tyranny. All down through the ages, people were kept in different forms of slavery. Uh, that's what you, you find with the grandson of Charles Darwin. His grandson wrote the book called The Next Million Years, Charles Galton Darwin. He was a physicist in the 1950s, and he was a eugenicist as well. He believed that the, the masses, the inferior commoners, would overtake inbreeding uh, the elite, and therefore his idea was to basically sterilize them by different means, using food inoculations and the injections of hormones into them. At least get hormones into them through one, way, one means or another. That's been done successfully. And you would basically emasculate the males, because it was the males they're always worried about at fighting and overthrowing tyrannical systems so 
he outlined this whole agenda in that book, The Next Million Years. It is a must-read for those who really want to know what's happened to them physically. And we have been under attack our whole lives through institutions which, again, we were trained to perceive as being there to help us, the health industry and so on. That is why Jacques Attali talked about all media when it comes to medicine and law enforcement, where it gives you fictional plays or series on television, he said it's all propaganda to change your perception of those very institutions. We've watched the skyrocketing rate of autism and autoimmune problems that did not exist before the 1950s. Skyrocket after the introduction of the polio vaccines and then all the other mass of vaccines that are given to children today. Why? Because the institutions that run this world, and it, there really is an institution at the very top, a capstone, that runs all the other think tanks, tanks and the institutions, uh, they are into eugenics big time. Eugenics is not just about culling off the people, it's, it's also about sterilization of the people and it literally bioengineering the people through different generations until they create the perfect human slave. Charles Galton Darwin said in that book, The Next Million Years, there has always existed slavery in one form or another, regardless of the system that seems to be running the country. And he said, we are introducing a new form of more sophisticated slavery. That is what socialism is. It's sophisticated. You don't recognize it, although people are getting nervous now, when Children's Aid uh, suddenly ha comes in with SWAT teams to grab children for, for absurd reasons, things like that. And because they know where they have the public today uh, mind-bombed, as I say, mind-bombed out of their heads with television and propaganda, uh, they can't think clearly because of all the, the, the GMO food they're fed, They've also been attacked through inoculations that literally did go to their brain as well. I'm not kidding about that. Uh, so the, the, the big system is on a roll into the whole eugenics plan. And here's part of it. Now, I've mentioned Mark Bard before, who does ParallelNormal.com. Well, he also does an article for The Register. And this is from The Register. It's from the 5th of September, 2008. It said, I was a government guinea pig, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. That's the title of it. What will the U.S. government owe the hundreds of thousands of Americans it will swab, prick, track, and trace over the next 21 years in the largest children's health study ever? So far, the answer from the National Children's Study is not much. The study, a joint effort led by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and we know all about those guys. Those are the guys who allow all the poisons to go into your food. And the National Institute of Health also raises questions about a patient's right to privacy and to his own health records, according to a bioethicist, which is who, bioethics, remember, and bioethicist is the term they now use for the eugenicist. They changed their name. Hitler gave it a bad name to go into eugenics. So they're now bioethicists who reviewed the, the NCS plan. To understand the causes of asthma, well, we know it causes asthma because it skyrocketed again from the 50s onwards, and now it's common. And we also get it now in adults, and it's from 
the spraying of the aircraft for the last 10 years is the dozers with all the different chemicals they're using across the planet. And then going to obesity, we know what's done to obesity because we're being bioengineered by the very food that we eat. And they don't make mistakes. That's the big con game. Is they, they let you think that they make mistakes along the way and then they, they say, oh, we made a boo-boo and here's the effect. No, these characters know what the effects are going to be on the human body after massive testing on animals and even test groups of humans. They know how you're going to end up at the end. So hear that with obesity as well. And then they say other troubling childhood disease trends. Trends. You don't suddenly have trends in the conditions of health in the world suddenly. It doesn't happen suddenly, even under their own laws of, of um, basically Darwinistic evolution. Nothing happens suddenly, but they have trends. And says the NCS will sample DNA and monitor the health and environmental exposures of 100,000 children throughout their youth from the womb to the dorm room. Such a huge sample will ensure that less common diseases such as autism are captured in the study. Oh, really? Less common? I mean, it's, it's skyrocketing. To aid their hunt for lead and countless other toxins, what a joke, eh? NCS organizers in 2004 explored the use of RFID and GPS transponders, wireless motes and sensors implanted under the skin. Now you know what the fad and the trend they gave to fashion for piercing yourself and putting little things hanging off your lips and your eyes were all really about. It was to get you used to the idea of things being put into your skin or under your skin. But the government balked at having to corral an overload of data from the devices, said Sarah Kaim. See, there was no moral question here. What turned them off was the overload of data they would get from all the devices, said Sarah Kaim. NCS Associate Study Director for Operations and Logistics. These are just like military institutions because that's how they attack the public. And they have all the same terminology for their, for their officers. A 2004 report from the NCS commissioned by the EPA, that's the Environmental Protection Agency that allows us to be sprayed like bugs, also envisions fashion-conscious teens rebelling against the sensor-laden clothes mum gave them well, I tell you, if they gave someone the little bimbos that make stars uh, the stuff to wear, it would, be a, it would be a hit tomorrow. The report concludes that the implantable sensors, while promising, are still too invasive and prompt numerous ethical concerns. Well, they don't care a damn about ethics. They're just scared that there's not quite time they may get a backlash. There are similarly no plans to chip babies' diapers and men's underwear, another idea mentioned in the EPA report according to Kime. See, we're just, do you understand we're domesticated animals? That's how we are viewed. Do you know when the SARS outbreak came out in Toronto, at least this test that they called the SARS outbreak, they had all the specialists on and they referred to the public as the herd. This is on national television. They said this is herd management. Moo. So we are the herd to these people. And all they're doing is examining the conditions of the herd after attacking us for so long as they try to alter us. The NCS will still get its pound of flesh from volunteers, quite literally, through extensive biological sampling. At the top of the NCS's doctor's wish list for samples is hair and nail clippings, baby teeth, 
saliva, urine, blood for genetic testing, breast milk, umbilical cord blood, placenta, and meconium, a newborn's first poop. Uh, you wonder what kind of cult these guys are into, eh? All data collection for the NCS will be scrubbed of any personally identifiable information before researchers can see it, says Kaim. Oh, really? I bet I'd like to see her blush when I, when I question her. The NCS is one of the several colossal epidemiological studies coming online globally made possible by ubiquitous sensors, faster computer processors, and advances in genetic testing. And we're back with more of this monstrosity by the monsters after this break. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, reading an article from theregister.co.uk by Mark Bard. And it's to do with a massive experiment that's going on where they're collecting data on thousands of youngsters to follow them up through their lives. No doubt to see if all the poisons they're giving them are working. And remember what they said years ago at Wilson's, uh, when Wilson was the president and they had Colonel uh, Mandel House there. And, and, and House said, he said, for everything that happens in government, there's always a good reason given to the public, and then there's the real reason. And that's how socialist democracy actually works. We're never given the real truth of what they're up to. And to continue with this article, it says here, like the UK Biobank, which will examine the health of a half million middle-aged Britons, the NCS, this is for the US, is expected to generate a mountain of genetic test results. And many study participants will want to see the results the NCS discovered in its surveys. The problem is that doctors will not know what most of the DNA test results mean. And you see, it's not meant for the average GP. There's a higher level of science where the guys who do all this stuff and the higher stuff, where they, where they really understand it, they will know what the results do mean. And it won't be to your benefit. They want to see how detrimental their war against you has been. It says, science has not advanced to the point where we know the clinical significance of many genetic markers, Kaim said. It's quite amazing that after they've just announced that they've found out why some men um, are, are promiscuous, they're claiming it's because of a particular gene that some of them have. So they have all this, this double speak at the lower levels of genetic research. Test results can also be wrong, said Vanderbilt University bioethicist or eugenicist Ellen Wright Clayton, who reviewed the NECS research plan as part of a National Academy of Sciences panel. Research labs do not have the same quality control measures as diagnostic labs, said Clayton. Clayton declined to speak on behalf of the NES panel or specifically about the NCS. In a world already full of hypochondriacs self-diagnosing themselves via Google, doctors now fear raw research data and early findings might prompt patients to make bad choices. Returning incidental findings to patients is one of the most vexed topics in research ethics, Clayton said. We're in the middle of a huge debate. wonder who we are because the public aren't involved in it. In other words, scientists aren't sure whether or not they should return DNA results to volunteer subjects, even those fearing they might have a genetic disposition or a particular form of cancer, for example. The 
budget for the NCS, about $100 million per year, huh, might not be enough to cover genetic counseling for individuals, even as it searches for full-time bioethicists. Uh, uh, it says the NCS is moving forward. NCS workers in January 2009 will begin fanning out in a door-to-door search for test subjects. Oh, oh, boiling oil, boiling oil from the parapets. Recruiters in several U.S. cities will be seeking a vanguard sample of pregnant women and those not yet pregnant, asking them to commit themselves and their children to 21 years of interviews, physical exams, and lab tests. Getting poor Americans on board will not be easy, however, and you can guarantee that's who they're targeting. Many Native Americans, for example, will not want to part with their hair. The NCS is found. Hair in the placenta are considered sacred by many tribes who have more sense than the white man. Pregnant and parenting teens in one NCS focus group placed a high price on their umbilical cord blood and placentas and their baby's blood. Again, there are more brains than we have. Volunteers can opt out of any part of the study that makes them feel uncomfortable, said Kaim. They should be uncomfortable at the very thought of it, being a guinea pig, for something you have no idea what it's really all about. To ensure proper consent, women with cognitive impairments and some with mental illnesses will be excluded. The NCS recruits many living in dire poverty in housing projects and on Indian reservations, might feel they're giving more than they are getting. Well, I hope the Indians on the reservations remember their histories. Hmm? I hope they really, really remember their histories and learn that one word from the white man that says no. No. Very small word, means a lot. No. A promotional video for the NCS says participation is all about family and country. Now, there's your, there's your utter, utter drooling hypocrisy here from the very system that is determined to destroy the family unit. Participation about, is all about family and country. People will look back on this and say, my child was in the National Children's Study, and that will be a point of pride for that family, said Dr. Donald Dudley, an advisor to the NCS from the University of Texas. My God, you think you could dream up something better than that? NCS subjects then can expect little more and gestures of thanks for the prolonged assistance. Volunteers, said Kime, can expect a T-shirt, get a T-shirt for all that, small toy or a gift certificate, and also modest monetary incentives for completing each visit. Pavlov's dog. Punishment, reward, reward, and so on. And there you are with it, folks. We're just the herd, and that's where socialism has to bring the people, because it was nothing about helping the people Institutions that at one time were services are now authorities over you. And they serve the elite who own, as far as you're concerned, the entire world. We're just the domesticated animals. The same animals that the same types of organizations have said they must start culling down rather quickly and in the population debates that are still raging on at high levels. And I think I hear the music coming in. Just finish that particular article. I'll be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. It's astounding really to me how we watch television, and you'll, you'll see these different um, anthropologists and so on going into little tribes that are here there in jungle situations, and studying them and watching them and photographing them and writing down everything about them. Well, you see, what they're doing is seeing what their customs are. And that was done to everyone else a long, long time ago in the Western world. We've been so studied. And by watching your habits, male, female, and so on, that they can then utilize your particular habits and turn them against you for their own ends at the top. Because this next article falls right in line uh, with, again, this odd phenomenon. This odd phenomenon that's getting no, no real airtime whatsoever, and it's called infertility amongst males. The United Nations every year comes out with the statistics on this, that, and everything else under the kitchen sink. And they tell you quite calmly that uh, the sperm count has dropped since 1950 by 75%. That means we're 75% sterile in the Western world. And there's no comment made such as this is a crisis. They just go on to the next statistic. And that tells you that this is the agenda. This is, this is intentional. Whatever is causing it is intentional. And then you fall back again on Charles Galton Darwin's book, The Next Million Years, where he said we've got to alter the hormonal systems in male and female, but mainly the male. And this article ties right in with this because... As I've said on many, many shows, how is it that everything that we find out has happened to us physically uh, ends up being right along with the agenda? Why isn't it they do something in food or something that will really help us by mistake? It doesn't happen that way. It's always to our detriment, but always along in the same direction as agenda. That doesn't happen with the law of averages. Sometimes we should win if it was all accidental. Here's from the Mail Online the Mail Online, the Daily Mail, and that is the 1st of September, 2008. How perfumes and scented creams could make your unborn baby infertile. Like, this isn't news, remember. I've, I've read stuff like this years ago. It says here, pregnant women are being urged to stop using perfumes or scented creams after research suggested the products could cause unborn boys to suffer infertility or cancer in later life. It found the reproductive systems of male fetuses were damaged at as early as eight weeks gestation by chemicals found in cosmetics. Professor Richard Sharp, who led the research at the Medical Research Council's Human Sciences Unit, said that he discovered a time window of eight to 12 weeks gestation when certain hormones in the fetus are activated and the male reproductive system comes into being. At that time, future problems of male fertility, including undescended testicles, low sperm count, and the risk of testicular cancer could be determined if these hormones, such as testosterone, do not work properly, he added. Experiments on rats confirmed that if the hormones were blocked, the animals suffered fertility problems. Professor Sharp said he discovered the male programming window occurred far earlier in fetal development than was previously thought before the reproductive organs fully develop and when androgens in the fetus are most active. At this, and this is exactly what uh, Charles Galton Darwin was, was aiming at, androgens and testosterone and all the rest of it. 
If the male fetus does not receive enough androgens, it may not realize its full reproductive potential, he added. Women could stop using body creams and perfumes. Although we do not have conclusive evidence they do harm, there are components about which there are question marks. For example, it could be certain combinations of chemicals. In other words, it could be augmented the more different kinds you apply. But you also find in soaps and all the rest of it, the artificial stuffs are given you. You've got various xenoestrogens and all the rest of it. It's in your shampoos too. It doesn't mention this in this particular study. But we've been under attack for a long, long time, as I say. And we've got to wisen up before it's too late. We see the effects already in society. We see the physical alterations of males and females in our society. It's obvious to those who've lived long enough and who've been aware, who could see and watch and remember how we used to be. Men are becoming thinner and thinner. Uh, They have uh, narrow shoulders and they're becoming more and more effeminate, if you notice. And that ties right in with the human agenda. Read the book, The Human Agenda. They talk about the necessity of creating a form of hermaphroditic world in the near future sponsored and paid for by the American Psychiatric Association. So I'm not making any of this up. I don't have to. We're living in science fiction. It's all around you, only it's fact. And when they come out with these studies and they tell you that they didn't know that this happened so early in a fetus's gestation, that is not true. At a higher level of science, you can bet your bottom dollar they knew what the effects would be years ago. It falls right in with the agenda. Now, this is from the the Canada Free Press, and it's called the Anti-Human Agenda, Monday, May 19th, 2008. Interesting article. It's a tongue-in-cheek comment from my university said, if we could just get rid of the students, it would be a great place to work. Some environmentalists think that if we just get rid of all the people on the planet, it would be a great place to live. Generally, overpopulation is a major part of the environmentalist argument that humans are causing all the problems, including climate change. Satire is a good measure of this position, typified by the bumper sticker that says, Save the planet, kill yourself. The relationship between population and resources has been an issue throughout history. All predictions to date were wrong, including Thomas Malthus in the 19th century, who claimed the population would outgrow the food supply. The most recent flurry of alarmist over population growth has, was a key piece of the ideas of the Club of Rome and a now discredited book, Limits to Growth. It received momentum through Paul Ehrlich's book, The Population Bomb. The ideas were combined with sustainable development at the 1994 World Conference on Population in Cairo. That's, United, that's the UN organization that had that. Here it is in bureaucraties from section 3.1. The Rio Declaration on Environment and Development and Agenda 21, adapted by the international community at the United Nations Conference on Environmental and Development, calls for patterns of development that reflect the new understanding of these and other intersectoral linkages. There is also general agreement that unsustainable consumption and production patterns are contributing to the unsustainable use of natural resources and environmental degradation, as well as to the reinforcement of social inequities 
and of poverty with the above-mentioned consequences for demographic parameters. Although the discussion was about health and development, there was little doubt the underlying theme was the need to reduce population, especially in the developing world. It was the wrong approach. The error of left-wing policies is to ignore how population declines with increased development. It's a process that's called the demographic transition in which the death rate declines and the birth rate declines and population numbers decline. It is evident in every developed country and unless supplemented by immigration, as many developed nations are now practicing, can cause other problems. Environmentalism in its more virulent form is anti-humanity and anti-evolution. It holds that human progress is not a natural evolution, but an unnatural aberration. Ronald Arnold, Executive Vice President of the Center for the Defense of Free Enterprise, said, Environmentalism intends to transform government, economy, and society in order to liberate nature from human exploitation. The 1990 Greenpeace report on global warming said, Carbon dioxide is added to the atmosphere naturally and unnaturally. What do they mean by unnatural? It's a Freudian slip disclosing an underlying thought, but it also introduces a profound contradiction. If what humans do is not natural, then by inference we are not natural. If we are not natural, then by default you must conclude a greater authority put us here, but of course they don't want that either. Somehow evolution, survival of the fittest, and the most adaptable doesn't apply to humans. Some actually express this view. David Graeber, a research biologist with the National Park Service said, human happiness and certainly human fecundity are not as important as a wild and healthy planet. I know social scientists who remind me that people are part of nature, but it isn't true. Somewhere along the line, at about a billion years ago, we quit the contract and became a cancer. We become a plague upon ourselves and upon the earth. It is cosmically unlikely that the developed world will choose to end its orgy of fossil energy consumption and the third world its suicidal consumption of landscape. Until such time as Homo sapiens decide to rejoin nature, some of us can only hope for the right virus to come along. These are the characters who are in charge of these big authorities now, the big stick over us that we fund, by the way. We fund our own extermination. I hope we realize that. To continue with the article, it says, what contract and with whom? What happens if the virus wipes out Graeber and his like? Cheers, that's what you'd get. Perhaps Christopher Maines, author of Green Rage, would decide because he says a large percentage of humanity is an ecological redundancy. He means all the lesser peoples are just in the, in the way. Getting rid of everyone permanently solves the problem. David Foreman, former chief lobbyist for the Wilderness Society, says the optimum number is zero. Presumably, he's the last to go. Canadian David Suzuki, boy, what a guy this is. He was picked young for his propaganda role. A former geneticist professor might see the irony, although I doubt it. He said, economics is a very specious chauvinistic idea. No other species on Earth, and there are maybe 30 million of them, has had the nerve to put forth a concept called economics in which one species, us, declares the right to put value on anything else on earth in the living and non-living worlds. First, he is wrong because all other species do put a value on everything else. It is either food or it's not food. It doesn't get more basic than that. Second, the 30 million number is wrong 
but so are the statistics Suzukiya uses about the rate of extinctions. Then it is another of those confounded species chauvinistic ideas and doesn't apply to those who know the truth. Suzuki travelled across Canada selling a book, how economically driven, of course, for his own economic reasons, claiming two species are now becoming extinct. I challenged him to name them and the 46 others that disappeared every day. I suggested we have a daily obituary column lamenting them. It won't happen because it simply doesn't happen. It does imply we are arrogant mass murderers as well as economists. Of course, no other species has the nerve or ability to develop concepts like economics. Conceptual thought is another of the evolutionary advances humans made. This guy also believes in evolution, of course. Or is it? Again, we confront the conundrum. Apparently, our advances are not evolutionary. We are not playing according to the natural rules. The English TV comedy series Yes Minister had a wonderful episode in which the most efficient and economical hospital was the one that had no patients. Well, environmentalists don't harbour those views lightly. Ingrid Newkirk of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals said, Mankind is a cancer with the biggest blight on the face of the earth. If you haven't given voluntary human extinction must stop before, the idea of a world with no people in it may seem strange, but if you give it a chance, I think you may agree that the extinction of Homo sapiens would mean survival for millions, if not billions, of earth-dwelling species. Facing out the human race will solve every problem on earth, social and environmental. And that puts me in mind of the statements made by Albert Pike. And we also find it with the various communist societies of the late 1800s, early 1900s, where they said they would let loose on the world all those with basically chips on their shoulders, the atheists and the nihilists. Well, you see, they've got these people with big chips on their shoulders, and they fund them into being the spokesmen of these prominent organizations that then hold the big stick over us. Hitler would love to have recruited these people. It's too bad the dinosaurs or all the other species that became extinct long before Homo sapiens came on the scene did not know this. See, that's, that's the comeback to that last book. Before you conclude, Ms. Newkirk is alone in this extreme view. Consider Richard Corniff's comment in Audubon, you know, the Audubon Wildlife Series. Among other environmentalists sharing two or three beers, the notion is quite commonly that if only some calamity could wipe out the entire human race, other species might once again have a chance. The Roman adage, in vino veritas, in wine there is truth, applies, although apparently Ms. Newkirk did not need such liquid courage. I struggled for years with the role of function of extremists in society, and now I realize now their job is to define the limits of an idea or ideology. We're all environmentalists to a greater or lesser extent, and we should resent those who have usurped the concept or the title. Everyone cares about the environment. The question is how far do we pursue the concept? Those who are anti-humanity and anti-society or don't believe evolution applies to humans have the ultimate in arrogance. Is there any other species that would advocate its own demise? Not a bad article. And that's what it's all about. You see, they have got all these weirdos with chips on their shoulders and really hate society, and they make them the spokespeople for all the UN front groups. The ones who are bringing us into this glorious new world order, not because they plan it that way, but because their bosses at the top plan it that way, and they have a different view of society because Charles Galton Darwin says the elite will continue. They will continue, and they will not be numbed with drugs or attacked 
with, with physically by the inoculations and so on, they themselves will be very fit and healthy and live to a ripe old age, and they must steer planet Earth. They will retain the survival capabilities. So that's the anti-human agenda. And I have one more article to go after this. And my page just dropped down for the caller, so I don't know who's on it. And it's a hard one to get back up again. But I'll continue prattling away here. And this article is from the BBC News. <clears throat> and it's quite amazing. It's talking about socialism and where it's gone and, and how it's got so far. And Britain is the home of this. It, it came out of World War II after fighting a socialist regime it came out of the World War II as the premier socialist regime because government took over every function in society during World War II. That's why wars are very handy for the elite. And this article is from the BBC, and it's from Sunday the 13th of July, 2008. It says, call for more searches of pupils. Listen to this. Listen to this. Boy, oh boy. Teachers should be able to search pupils for alcohol and drugs inside or outside of school as a review on tackling bad behaviour among pupils. Sir Alan Steer has delivered the proposals in a government commissioned review of ways to improve discipline. Alcohol is identified as a growing problem. It's also the most promoted on television. And Sir Alan wants teachers in England to have the legal power to search pupils and confiscate drink. At present, teachers only have the right to search for weapons. And I'll go on with this article. It's just amazing after this message. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, reading an article from the BBC, and maybe I'll, I'll manage to get a caller in afterwards, I don't know, but we'll see. It says here, this is about teachers giving the right to search pupils inside and outside schools. It says, Sir Alan Steer delivered the proposals in a government commissioned review of ways to improve discipline, or discipline, they're really into it, they're stadomasochists, I tell you. Alcohol is identified as a growing problem. As I said before, that's the most widely advertised on television. That's all you ever see. It says here, the school secretary, Ed, or school secretary, Ed Balls, what a name this guy's got, Ed Balls, has welcomed the report and its conclusion that behavior is generally good and is improving in our schools. The call for wider powers to search pupils is a response, is to help you, to the concerns of head teachers about the influence of alcohol and to a lesser extent, illegal drugs. This power should apply when pupils are on the school site or off school site, on school trips and activities, said Sir Alan. But he rejects as an inviolable suggestion that schools should introduce drug testing on pupils. Teachers should also have the power. See, they always want more and more power. All these organizations want more and more power. The search for suspected stolen property in pupils' pockets or bags or situations such as disputes over stolen mobile phones or music players. Last year, schools were given legal powers to search pupils they suspected of carrying weapons, and they were allowed to refuse entry to any people who refused to be searched. I'd have loved that. I'd have brought, I'd have brought a catapult every day, and it have sent me home. Terrell is also expected to call for more ways to involve parents in improving school discipline. And this is what happened, you see, they took the rights away from the parents, and you got the rights of the child, that big bill they put through the United Nations, that law, 
and you find out the parents have no rights over the child at all. And this is exactly what Bertrand Russell wanted, where the state gives the child their new value system. We see the effects of it everywhere. And then when it all seems to be chaotic, they step in with the next phase, and the next phase, and the next phase. This was all planned this way. Planned this way. And this is the review also calls for more parent advisors and parent councils and a local authority panel to hear parents' complaints about schools. The review on behavior in school comes against the background of growing concern over teenage knife crime. You see, you can't have firearms in Britain. So I tell you, if they take knives away, they'll hit each other with clubs or bricks or something. You see, it's not the, it's not the object that's used. It's the intent behind it that causes these problems. It doesn't matter what the weapon is. Or even if you kick someone uh, and, and whatever, I mentioned the name earlier, someone's name, but if you kick someone, uh, that can also be the same thing. That can do the same kind of damage. Sir Alan, head teacher of Seven Kings High School, Ilford has warned that adults can too often set a bad example for young people, showing them behavior that is greedy and aggressive. Now, nowhere did they ever mention the media the movies that have been fed for 50 years of increasing violence and slaughter. Uh, no one mentions that, the ones that give them the culture, the culture industry. Why not? Why isn't that ever mentioned? No, they always attack the people uh, and they attack the effect of it. So that's that article there. Um, I don't know if we have time to go to Harley from Michigan. Are you there, Harley? Are you, uh, uh, Alan, how, hello, are you? Oh, I'll tell you, I, I didn't even know that. I can just hear the music coming in now. <laughs> okay, well, listen. I'll, 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 I'll tell you, can you call the next time and I'll try and take I, your call. I sure will. Good to talk to you again, Alan. Okay, thanks. From Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.